Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hey, Gabby, you're calling the kids. Let's go. All right, that looks great, Gabby. Let's make those legs longer. So, Gene, how's it going with the kids? Uh, you do not feel like training. Here. What's your plan? Hi, everybody. My guest on today's show is Dr. Will Cole, functional medicine doctor. Crazy amount of information. He's written the book called Ketotarian, The Inflammation Spectrum, which we're going to get into. I love this idea of we end up talking about chronic inflammation all the time, but it's getting in touch with inflammation has a spectrum and there are so many things we can do consistently in our lifestyle to keep us, you know, hopefully on that lower end of the spectrum of inflammation. And that inflammation isn't all bad. It's there for a reason. It helps us, you know, healing wounds and dealing with things. It's just that we want to avoid that chronic inflammation. And his latest book, Intuitive Fasting, Dr. Will Cole, if you go to his website, drwillcole.com, he gives away a ton of free information. I did my best to keep it simple. This is a guy that you could go off on a million tangents with. I tried my best to keep it more towards the gut health and brain health. We really drilled down on gut health because another thing Dr. Cole is always reminding us is, listen, we've separated mental health, things like anxiety and depression, and our physical health. And what he's saying, is it's so connected and there's ways that we can support ourselves both ways, especially if we kind of can get into our gut health and keeping you know, that in check, it really does help us with either autoimmune disease, things like anxiety, thyroid. Um, so I, I think sometimes when we look at health, it gets so complicated, but if we can drill back down into the essence, like our gut, we have so much more opportunity to be proactive and help ourselves. And he talks a lot about, hey, you can reverse certain things, you can improve certain things, or maybe there's just certain things like an anxiety, he even talks about his own personal experience, where he's managing that, but he's managing that through all of these other good lifestyles. We get into vitamins and just a ton of things that you can do right now, because now is the time to make yourself feel better. That's what we're into, let's feel good. That's what I wanna sell and share is you feeling your best. If you want to then go off and be a triathlete or an endurance, you know, whatever, or you're just trying to function as a human being, that's on you. But let's just get to a place where we feel good. Enjoy. Dr. Will Cole, thank you for joining me on the show. And we, we were talking earlier about you have so much information and it's one of these things where I want to have a conversation is almost if two patients came in to see you at the same time. And so, you know, you've written books on intuitive fasting, 
which I, I find fascinating. Um, the inflammation spectrum, which is where I really want to drill down because I, I sort of feel like that's a really uh, solid route for so much of health. And then you have a, a ketotarian, which I also want to get into. So what I thought we could do is, is sort of tackle some of these um, conversations, especially around inflammation, but maybe for the two patients, maybe for somebody who's like, hey, I'm up and running, I'm aware of my food, I'm moving, but I'm also aware that because of the environment, because of you know the soil, the water, the air, your body's finding things that maybe it, it normally wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Or for the person who's like, hey, I barely know what you're talking about. I've never even had a blood panel done. I need to baby step it because, you know, sometimes that can be overwhelming, I think for people. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. And that's the the balance that I always hold is, is, is not just what is clinically relevant for somebody, but how can I meet them where they're at? How can I be there for them in the way that they're even looking for? Because all this stuff is, is overwhelming. So I try to make it as digestible as possible. And I think you, you do a really incredible job of that. And I think also sometimes whether people want to hear it or not, a universal truth is a universal truth. And so whether you're, you know, sort of somebody who's really had a diligent practice in movement and food and mindfulness, or you, you know, you've been under it and you haven't looked up for a while, there's going to be some truths that obviously, you know, they go back and forth. Yeah. hundred percent. And, you know, most of my patients, it's interesting are people that are extremely well-read. They've done their, they've exhausted tons of stuff. They've exhausted conventional medicine. They've exhausted a lot of alternative, complementary, integrative stuff. They've had to be their own doctor. So I'm used to these beyond the basic stuff, but it's that's that complex stuff. If you say it in a way, it, it's going to be applicable to anybody. You know, it, it's, it's, it's going to be good truths for anybody. Right, the organism. And um, before we, yeah. we, we get into... I want to really go right into the inflammation spectrum because I love this idea. I think the first time I ever heard that was when I read Grain Brain, however long ago. And he sort of discussed that, you know, your brain can't say like, if my knee's inflamed, it's like, oh, my knee hurts. Oh, okay. And he goes with the brain. It's like, you don't know until you kind of clicked past too far. And because his whole thing was he was diving in about his dad's experience. And it's like, well, what does happen? And by that time, you've had this chronic inflammation for so long. And that's where the problem is. But if we can, if we can kind of keep backing it off, because you say a lot, you know, people hear the word inflammation. Inflammation is, is natural. It's a good thing. It does a lot of important things for function, but it's the chronic inflammation Mm -hmm. um, that really kicks our, our, you know, our health butt and triggers all kinds of things. So I think the other sort of interesting thing was you say that if people go to the doctor a lot of times they're already way on the spectrum. They're in the inflammation game, but yet mm-hmm. they won't get diagnosed with anything yeah. because it hasn't fallen into a certain part where that either gets recognized or the levels are such that they can officially call it something. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can just explain a little bit about what the spectrum really means. Yeah. It's, for, it's important for people to realize no matter where they're, at in life, they should check in with their body to find out where they're at on the inflammation spectrum because it statistically, it's the majority of the human race at this point. It's it is almost everybody. And if it's not you, you know somebody or you love somebody that is dealing with these inflammatory problems. So you mentioned, yeah, you're right. Inflammation inherently is not a bad thing. It's needed. 
it fights viruses, it kills bacteria, it heals wounds. It's, it's important. We would be all not here as a human race without healthy, balanced inflammation. But it's this chronic insidious inflammation, this sort of forest fire that burns in perpetuity. That is the issue. That's the problem. So it's homeostasis. It's the Goldilocks principle. Not too much, not too little, but just right when we need it. Inflammation is subject to that law, just like our microbiome balance and hormones. These things are not inherently bad, but too much or not enough isn't good. It's not going to make you feel good. So chronic inflammation is what's associated with things like autoimmune conditions, which are of epidemic proportions, to uh, metabolic issues, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, to the epidemic of mental health issues, of anxiety and depression and fatigue and brain fog. These are also inflammatory. And there's research exploring those inflammatory components to that. So this is what chronic inflammation is. So when I talk about the inflammation spectrum, all of these things, you mentioned like the books I've written, all of these things are just natural ripple effects of me consulting patients and seeing 10 hours a day for the past 12 years, these far reaching implications of what inflammation can do to somebody's life. But on the other side of that coin is that when you know what you're up against, you can do something about it. These things are largely overcomable and improvable, supportable, healable things. If we just give our body the things and, and give our body the time to, to get back to that balance, to get back to that homeostasis. So we, we live in a world that in a way, I think it's, it's almost like, you know, I feel like if people understood to not get overwhelmed, you know, you don't have to do everything perfect all at once, right? You don't have to run a marathon. You don't have to only eat kale. You know, you don't have to, it's, it's not about that, but it's taking, you know, first of all, looking at the landscape and giving yourself sort of a break and understanding the landscape is set up, the grocery store, the food that you can buy, that tastes great, that's cheap, that's everywhere, if it's prepared food. And again, like we talked about some of those environmental issues, you know, with the glyphosate and just things that we, we are not kind of in charge of that, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's like, and I think what happens is when we hear this kind of talk, people feel it's daunting mm -hmm. and it's overwhelming. And a lot of times, especially with the food part, it's emotional, like, hey, this yeah. is a way I, I medicate myself. And what I, I'm really interested in doing is saying that exists. So let's just recognize the board that we're playing. Let's recognize the game we're in and we're game in, that we're in is there's a lot more things to navigate for us in our modern life. And, and so maybe if you're, if the two patients come in with this idea, let's just take people who are sort of feeling pretty healthy. And, and I think what's interesting for me is a lot of people think, oh, I, well, I'm always tired or I kind of feel bummed out, but that's just how life is. Like they don't even know that overall how they're really feeling. So you talked about checking in with yourself. What if you have a patient who comes in and they don't, that isn't even registering. You know, what does that mean? The check-in? Yeah. What does that what, mean? That's a good point the, to clarify. What's the list? Like when I come mm -hmm. in and let's say I have been like under, like I'm overwhelmed with my work and my life and maybe I have a family and I come in and I just go, oh yeah, well, yeah, I'm always tired or oh, you always do this how do you even guide somebody to the check-in? Sure. So I, I think that it's important to, and that's part of the reason why in my last two books, Intuitive Fasting, the newest book and Inflammation Spectrum, I started those books off with quizzes because those quizzes are adapted from questions that I ask patients anyways. So I would have like, okay, if I'm not here with the reader, like I, 
what, how can they check it with themselves and learn it? So it's in detail in the book, but you can go through head to toe, like check your energy levels, check your mood, check your digestion. And we get specific on that. Like some people don't go to the bathroom every day and they think that's normal, (laughs) but it's not normal. You need one to two snakes a day. And just because you don't, they'll go, they'll go three days without going to the bathroom and they'll say, but I'm not constipated when they go. It's normal. The formation's normal, but the frequency is not normal. So decrease GI motility, et cetera. Look at digestion. Look at, I mentioned your mood. Look at your skin, your hair, your nails. Look, but at the top ones that I see, these like pretty ubiquitous check engine lights on the inflammation spectrum are be energy, mood, and digestion. Those would be like the three most common things that I see. And again, it's this spectrum. By the time somebody's diagnosed with a problem, research estimates it's about four to 10 years prior to that diagnosis is when things were brewing on this inflammation spectrum. These are chronic things that take time, uh, up to a decade. So no matter where you're at on the inflammation spectrum, the question is, what can I do now to, to control the things like you said, how, what, what can I control? We can't control everything and that's okay. The bodies are amazingly resilient. You don't have to control everything. <laughs> you don't have to. That's a cool thing. That's an amazing thing about our physiology. Our health is amazingly resilient if we just do small things. So let's start with, I think what ends up being the hardest for people, which is, is what we eat. And then I want to get a little into invisible stressors not things that we can't control, but we can talk about that. But, you know, food is like, we do it usually two, three times a day. Um, oh, what oil is this? You know, it's, it is very, it's a lot to navigate. So what I always say is it's like, we say in our house, like, you know, kind of plants and animals or vegetable, like in a way, almost strip it down to that, like that essential. Um, but if you have someone who's coming in and, and they actually, I mean, they're far away from this. What are the sort of some of the real things to look out for? You know, like you hear about certain doctors, like Dr. Shanahan, she talks about the hateful eight, like just even getting into not eating certain oils. Yeah. Yeah. I have similar things for people to easy to remember in the books and in my practice, the core four and the eliminate. Those are, those are four foods that are the most likely to drive inflammation disrupt the microbiome, which is where 75, 80% of the immune system is for people that don't know that's the trillions of bacteria in our gut. So you, to understand inflammation, you have to look at where majority of the immune system resides, which is in the gastrointestinal system. So these core four are major disruptors of that system. That is grains, primarily gluten containing grains, but some people can have cross reactivity to certain other gluten-free grains, but grains, Industrial seed oils, like you said, uh, canola oil, vegetable oil, these polyunsaturated uh, and processed polyunsaturated industrial seed oils um, and a sugar, which isn't, I mean, when you talk about sugar and oil, this is not a food, uh, even though maybe some people want it to be, but it's, these are just <laughs> food additives. And then dairy is would be the fourth one. And, and then we have a nuanced conversation. This is black or white this the foods themselves are a spectrum because you can get better versions of these things so it's not all or nothing it's a gradient but that if we're being like super starting point that's the core four and the eliminate are a little bit more than that and not everybody needs to remove these but if people are having food sensitivities if they're struggling with autoimmune issues if they're struggling with digestive problems other inflammatory problems 
we add in four more. So it's the core four plus four more or eliminate. So that adds in nuts and seeds, which I love nuts and seeds. But for a time, some people with digestive problems, removing them can be beneficial. Uh, legumes, same thing, nothing inherently wrong. The next one would be nightshades. Those are peppers, tomatoes, eggplants, goji berries, white potatoes, and then eggs. Look, those last four on the eliminate, beyond the core four, those are all whole foods from the planet. There's nothing inherently wrong. So it's less to do about those foods, more to do with the body's overreaction to those foods because of the damage it's already done. Like you said, this, these environmental things, this stuff that we can't control. Sometimes it's stressing out an already stressed out system where we can't blame the foods, but it's, right. it's the amount of stress the body's already going under. So removing it for a time can start to downregulate these inflammatory pathways. Right. You're saying these next four is like a more, is a bigger move to help say, Hey, listen, we're going to really get after it. If you if you sort of have this damage, because I think what happens is people be like, wait a second, goji berries. Everybody says goji berries are great. It's like, yeah. they are when you're in the right place to eat them and receive them. So you, I love that you're, you know, you throw out the net of like, well, let's take a deal. Like I have friends that'll be like, I'm allergic to garlic. I'm like, okay, I can't have this conversation right now. Like I just, I cannot, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I can't. I like you're allergic to garlic. So, so I think that's a really important, you know, differentiating factor. So if your two patients are coming in, you're saying to the guy who's like, hey, I'm kind of, I'm under it. You go, cool, let's really do a wide net and clean up the system. Let it reboot a little bit. Because like you said, we're so regenerative. And I think people, they almost don't have that belief about how amazing we can restore our system. A really quick note is let's talk about probiotics because I feel like people go, well, I'll just, you know, have a fancy yogurt that they, you know, get in the refrigerated section of the health food store, or I'll take these probiotics and my gut is I'm covered. Um, I actually think that that's almost a misnomer. How can you take a probiotic and it can really help? Not really. I mean, I think from real food or certain vitamins possibly, but maybe we could just sort of side path about gut and gut health because it's it's the name of the game it is and you it's important for people to realize that you don't necessarily have to have extreme digestive symptoms to have underlying gut problems because when you look at the research at things like, like anxiety and depression and autoimmune conditions just those three things alone anxiety depression fatigue and autoimmune conditions those four things they may or may not have digestive symptoms, but they all in the scientific literature have underlying gut components that are driving these problems through either the gut brain axis, the gut immune axis, and the connection between these systems. So people realize that gut health doesn't just apply to constipation, diarrhea, and IBS and bloating and acid reflux. Important for people to realize that. But yes, you're you cannot have sorry, go on. No, maybe you could just quickly communicate to people about the, the actual real connection between yeah. the brain and the gut and actually the tissue itself. Right. The gut and brain are actually formed from the same fetal <laughs> tissue. So when babies are growing in their mom's womb, all of us, they're, they're growing from that same fetal tissue and they are linked for the rest of our lives through what's known in the research as the gut-brain axis, the connection between the gut and the brain. And if people think about it, the intestines even kind of resemble the brain. 
and there it's connected to the vagus nerve, the enteric nervous system, but 95% of serotonin, almost all of our serotonin, our happy neurotransmitter is made in the gut and stored in the gut. So to understand brain health, you have to look at the second brain, which is what researchers actually refer to the gut as the second brain. And as I mentioned earlier, it's also home to 75, 80% of the immune system. So to deal with inflammatory problems, which is connected to all these problems or uh, other immune mediated issues, you have to look at with you from an immune system standpoint too at the gut. So immune issues, brain issues, and hormones, 20% of our thyroid hormone is converted in gut. I mean, hormones are, have a major metabolism component in the gut. So those three things alone is the majority of the human race, sadly. So we have to understand the gut and Hippocrates somehow knew this thousands of years ago in Greece. I don't know how the heck he knew this. There was no double blind placebo controlled trials in Hipp Hippocratic age, but he knew he said all disease begins in the gut. And that's why he's the father of medicine and I'm not, but he knew tons of stuff. And he also said, let food be the medicine and medicine like food. He also used fasting for his patients, all these things that now research is catching up with that antiquity that the majority of health problems begins in the gut. Someone's upwards of like 90% of health problems we face today has studies showing gut components to, to the pathophysiology. So if someone's like, okay, but I, I take my probiotic, I'm, I'm covered, yeah. you know, maybe... Yeah, I know. I, I mean, may, I mean, I, I would think fermented foods is almost probably better, more yeah. supportive of the gut than some, you know, over the shelf. Probiotics are probiotic. They're just a, a drop in the bucket. It's like we have upwards, depending on the study that you look at, a hundred trillion bacteria, and we have about <laughs> 10 trillion human cells. So put that in perspective. You're about 10 times more bacteria than human. Yeah. We all are. What was um, that book? Like 10% human or whatever. Uh, yes, I remember it was that. amazing. And basically yeah. we come away with reading that book. If it, It's sort of like, no, listen, we're here so they can colonize us. And maybe the thinking was, is like, it's actually their world. You know? Yes. We're and, a, and also, a sophisticated <laughs> host for this yeah, microbiome. And different, yeah. different colonies on the elbows because it's dry versus under the armpit because it's moist. Like people don't understand how sophisticated yeah. um, these systems are. So anyway. It's uh, a, probiotics can be a tool. Like I, I use probiotics. There, there could be tools. But the foods you eat trumps all of that. You cannot supplement your way out of a poor diet. You cannot take a probiotic. You're going to see some changes. I see people that don't change their diet and they take something like a probiotic and it changes the digestion. Maybe you'll get lucky and that will help that. But what's the bigger story here is that you have to build a gut garden sustainably and you're not going to be building a robust, diverse, healthy, balanced gut garden by a probiotic supplement. You have to look at all the things you're doing, whether that's the foods you're eating or the foods you're not eating, your stress levels, all of this stuff, not to stress people like they to do all the things. The dichotomy of this is the gut is amazingly resilient. Small things will influence far-reaching ripple effects. So if I go into, you know, again, I'm just trying to look at this through the lens of somebody who's like, hey, I really, I'm, I want to make a change, but all of this feels is sometimes overwhelming, is I go to the market and I go, yes, I'm going to eat more greens green leafy, you know, stuff that's going to support me, but I'm afraid of all the food because now they tell me even organic isn't organic. So even, even on that most simplistic level, how would you guide somebody, you know, how to purchase? Because I think a lot of times now we're, it's sort of like everyone gets paralyzed by the fear of like, well, mm -hmm. the toxins, you know, 
pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, like people are stunted by yeah. a lot of this over information too. It is. It totally is. And sometimes <laughs> there's, there's, it's good information to know in a way, but it's, it's too much information for the vessel to contain it. And if the person's like just getting off and then they're worrying about it, 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 it's whether that's the pesticides or the herbicides or it's selectins and the oxalates and all these things that they're Googling. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, they're afraid to eat like whole foods. Yeah. And look, all that stuff is true in context, but it's not all or nothing. You have to start moving in the right direction and realize you do the best you can with the information you have within your budget and then give the rest to God. You should not be so obsessed and stressing and shaming and obsessing your way into wellness. It's never going to happen. So it's, it's going to be such a source of dread, even if it is sustainable, but it probably won't be sustainable because you're so riddled with anxiety about this. So just keep it simple. Start there. Lean into this. Remember why you're even doing this thing. Wellness should actually be about bettering your life and not about punishing yourself and obsessing your way. So it's, this is really true. I think people should do the best they can. The environmental working group, ewg.org, has every year they update this clean 15 and dirty dozen list. Start there. Clean 15, get those 15 produce. You can get non-organic, get conventional and rinse it off. The dirty dozen, maybe go organic when you can. And even then, rinse it off. You're still going to get way more good things than bad things, meaning that unhealthy or not the best raised or grown produce is still better than eating the standard Western yeah. diet. So yeah. just start there. I think I just think that that's just a really important thing to keep drilling home because a lot of times with the people who have the information or the resources or what have you, they're further down the path. And I feel like sometimes for the person starting out who didn't grow up in a house where this was a conversation and they don't live, you know, on the fringe of the country where that's like readily talked about that mm -hmm. it's important to just do what you just said. Now, I, I'm going to use myself as an example. I move, I eat well. There's a lot of invisible stress, right? I have, I have three daughters. That's not so invisible, actually. You know, there's, and I'm mindful, like I can, I can feel. So, you know, when we talk about managing stress, I guess I'm always interested in people have work stress right now, if, you know, we're in COVID. So if we're doing all that we can do, and then there's these other things, people, maybe people have small children. This is just naturally kind of stressful. Mm -hmm. I sort of feel like you get the card for that and you just try to be mindful and go, Hey, is this really worth getting uptight about? Or you have this and I, I do some breathing. Um, my training will, you know, obviously offset a lot of my stress because I get all the positive hormones and then I just have a better perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. and so it isn't that the stress is different. The external stresses are the same, just my reaction to it. So I think mm -hmm. it's just, uh, people have to realize living is it's stressful. It's normal. But it's sort of how married we want to be. How deep do yeah. we want to go down with it? Like, I, I know you talk, because this is the other component, is this mindfulness, is a level of spirituality, however people want to practice it, right? Because we all know people that eat perfect, exercise just the right amount, it's all been measured, and they've got all the data, and they're psycho. Because now they're stressed out about being in, totally in control and all this other thing. So I just... You know, I feel like that's the other part to just remind people like, hey, even if you just go for a walk or a drive when you're feeling 
you know, pinched by things. It isn't about never feeling it. Right. Yeah. It's how you're going to move through it. And that people have to start cultivating acts of stillness in their life. They just have to, no matter what that looks like for different people, that what, what the right thing to do is the thing that you'll stick with. What the right thing is, I, I love it when people are say like, well, meditation's not for me. That's like saying the gym isn't for somebody because they're sore and they're not good at it when they first start out. When you start anything new that's challenging, that's building a muscle, you're going to be sore afterwards. You could be like, oh my gosh, like this is wrong. Everyone would reject working out when if they had that, had that mentality or that mindset towards it. It's the same thing with activating acts of stillness. And our culture has bred us so much in a way where stillness is scary. Being, doing nothing is scary. And we always have to be distracted. We always have to be entertained. We also always have to be stimulated. Otherwise, it's scary. And I think that the best thing that we can do in many ways is to, and this is a foundation for wellness. This is a foundation for actually growing an intuition to learn about what your body loves and hates is start to building that mindfulness muscle. And that can look different for different people, but they start to figure that out. I love to share anything that's good for you or can support you in your everyday life. And that's why I'm excited to share with you a new sponsor of the podcast, Upstart. And it's a fast and easy way to get a personal loan to pay off your debt, and it's all online. If we didn't learn anything last year, it's that we don't always know what life is gonna throw at us. And maybe you had to use credit cards to pay for some unexpected expenses. And managing that gets overwhelming. Like when's it due and how much is the balance and what are the interest rates? Well, you can take control with Upstart so you know exactly what what to expect. Let's say you have multiple credit cards and you, you know, you're doing all this tracking. Well, Upstart makes things simple with one monthly payment in one place. They'll even help you find smarter rates with trusted partners because they assess more than just your credit score. So whether you're paying off credit cards or consolidating high interest debt or funding personal expenses, already over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple fixed monthly payment. All you have to do is you go online, it's a five-minute online rate check. You can see your rate right up front for loans from $1,000 to $50,000. You can get approved the same day and can receive funds as fast as one business day. Debt is hard on you. It's very, very stressful, and you can take that back and get a fresh start with Upstart. So just go to upstart.com Gabby and you will be able to lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash Gabby. That's U-P-S-T-A-R-T dot com slash Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y. And remember, loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. And go to upstart.com slash Gabby. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole. As a leading functional medicine practitioner, I have had the unique position to see so many alchemize their pain and health problems to their purpose. Now I want the same for you. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers, where there is a fresh infusion of grace and lightness into wellness. This is the art of being well. Join me every Thursday for a new episode. You said you just came back from a trip and you, and you look like it because you're in Pittsburgh. And you do look like you have a pretty savage coloring um, that you just were in Arizona. <laughs> what are the things that you, because, 
you know, I think it's important. You have a practice, you have podcasts, you write books. I mean, you have a busy and stressful life. So it's not like, you know, you're sitting in a yurt on top of a, you know, and you see a patient every three days. <laughs> so what, what are the things that you are, your hurdles? Is it stillness? Is it, what is it? And then also what are the things you have put in place that do work for you? That's a great question. So I practice what I teach for sure. And I'm not great at it. I mean, I'm not always great at it. And that's why we are all students of these things that are just have to lean into it and be consistent and show up for ourselves. So uh, yeah, I came back from the desert is quite restorative for me. And because of the time that we're living in with COVID and all that stuff, I haven't been, I haven't traveled anywhere, but I got out there for a week with my family and it was, that's restorative. Wait, you went with your family? And that wasn't yeah. stressful? <laughs> no, I have a 14-year-old and 11-year-old. I was like, a come with a trip. But to me, it was like they could go outside in the desert and like run around. And like my son brought his scooter. My daughter and I went horseback riding. So it was like got them out. Yeah, I'm uh, <laughs> No, I mean, as parents, we could all say that we like need a vacation from the vacation. I think that there's a certain level of truth for, for that yeah. for sure. But uh, it was it was restorative, even though it comes with normal like parenting stuff, but it was, it was good. But like the practical stuff, I don't do that very often. I mean, the more practical stuff, I'm consulting people 10 hours a day. Uh, I've done this for the past 12 years. We consult people around the world via webcam, one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers. These are heavy stuff and it's back to back. So I have to be on my game. So I don't have, I don't go take trips and yurts and all that stuff very, very often at least. So you have to do the small things, the small things that have worked for me, the things that really make the most difference because they're small and consistent is simple breathing exercises, like mindfulness practice, where you're just breathing like Eckhart Tolle, the authors calls it inner body awareness or um, breath awareness, things that can anchor you into the present moment. Those are simple things that are maybe to the Western mind. So like, ah, oh, it's so easy, like so stupid, but it's like the heart, it's the hardest, but it's the most effective to always bring yourself back to the present moment and be non-judgmental when your mind starts wondering and just allow that, that thought to pass through. So those very basic mindfulness practices are important for me. Nature, like getting out in nature, uh, Shinrin Yoku, that the, the Japanese term like forest bathing, which again, isn't just hiking and doing like the Western, I'm just getting my workout and it's actually using nature as a meditative practice and just taking in the smells and the scents and the sounds and the stillness and seeing yourself in that. So doing that is a simple practice as much as you can. And, uh, yeah, those are the two, two basic do, things from a stress standpoint. A, do you have a breathing reset? You know how you can feel tension sort of rising. And, and obviously I feel like once the breath only makes it to the chest, you're sort of going into your uh, sympathetic, you know, you start to wind up. Do you just have one where you go, okay, I have 30 seconds from one teleconference to the next and I can feel the stress. It, you know, it's sort of like the tightness, you're getting cinched up. Do you have, a? you go, I got 30, I got a minute. Do you have something that you just consciously take, you know, and, and people do overlook some very deep, the power of, of down-regulating with some deep breath. Yeah. To me, I don't do any timed breathing or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, box breathing, even those, those are good. And there's some really solid yeah. research around it. To me, I just do natural breaths, almost like, you know, where our heart beats 
are these sort of uncontrolled, unregulated things. Your heart's just beating. And for me, I just want to be aware of my breath the way that it is naturally. And that to me, like gets me out of my head into my body and just sort of anchors me in that. And it's enough to really hold space for myself, but hold space for the people I'm talking to that they're going through heavy stuff. And that looks different. I think not everybody's a functional medicine doctor, but some people it's their parent or they're a partner or they're have a client or whatever they're doing. It's like, how can you show up for the people around you? Even if it's virtually, but even if it's in person too, like how can we show up and be the best versions of ourselves and make the present moment a friend and a good thing instead of this like obstacle or enemy that you have to get through. As a parent, do you try to dictate to your kids? I mean, obviously if you don't want them to eat it, it's not in the house. But they're, you know, they're at an age, especially your kids right now, where it's, mm-hmm. I, I, fi- I find that sometimes junk food is almost like a currency. Like their friends are going to come over and it's like, we're going to do eat really crappy food. I see that with my kids. And I'm yeah. like, what is this gathering? But it, yeah. I remember being that age and it was like, mm-hmm. if for little kids, it's, it's the currency is like candy, right? It's like, yeah. it's a weird, and it's like shows and we, you know, things, all the things that you're just like, you know, but it's realizing if you're a good example and you have it in the house and Hey, this is how we prepare meals. Do you, do you give them the freedom or do you lock it down? Like, how do you deal with that as somebody who really has all the, has a lot of information? Yeah. I think we, you have to start. And this is for any parent out there. You have the best time to start is now there's never going to be a perfect time. If you're waiting for the right time to do any of this for yourself, for your kids, for your family, it's now. It's never going to be a perfect time when you're like, I have nothing else to think about, but like making healthy <laughs> foods for my kids. There's never going to be that time when you don't have something distracting you. Uh, so, but for, for us, we did, we started off really young and you know, that still doesn't change culture here. It doesn't even matter. You could start at any point because you're still going to have friends that eat a different way or do life differently. And that's okay. I think it's a, the biggest thing is not teaching your kids not to somehow think that you're going to shame them into wellness. If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for their kids either. And you're not going to like get them on board with what you want sustainably by doing it that way. So to me, it's just like you said, like, well, this, this is what we do at home, educating them, getting them involved in the kitchen, explain to them age appropriately. And we all as parents know our kids and how they receive information. Anyway, speak on that level where they can get it. And now my kids make decent choices most of the time. But when they're hanging out with their friends and I hear they've done this, this, and this, eat the food, they know it's not their everyday. And they have their center. You have to build a center for your kids. And if you haven't done that yet, it's okay. Don't We all could have done better as parents if we knew what we know now then. But we start now and start building this foundation the best you can. And kids are, kids get it, man. You don't have to be super complex. Kids will get it, even if they're not always doing what you want them to do. If you start cultivating a foundation, they'll find their way back there. I think it's true. I mean, listen, I, we were, I grew up for a few years in Long Island and then mostly in the Caribbean. And like when I lived in Long Island with um, family members, I ate wholesome bread and fluff for nutter. 
Like, I don't know if you even know what fluff or nutter. I had I do, fluff or nutter sandwiches. Yeah. So fluff marshmallow spread with <laughs> peanut butter. And like, I, I, by 17, 18, I was moving a lot. And then by 22, I was eating pretty well. I was still part of the myth of, oh, carbs just get broken down into sugar that you burn. And then we got rid of them. We figured out, oh yeah, bagels or carbo-loading before sporting activities is not really the way to go. So I think it, you said something really important, which is right now, you know, we're regenerative. So we talk about, you know, the gut health and, and, and sleep and inflammation. Now, if you have someone who comes to you and they're vegetarian, or even if they're eating high quality meats, let's just say, so these people are, are doing a lot of the right things. And I think it's always really important to clarify for people because you're eating vegan or vegetarian, not everything at the market that is vegan or vegetarian is automatically good for you. A lot of times there's a lot of sugar, a lot of it's processed. What are your just kind of, you know, guidelines or what you would encourage maybe your vegetarian to ramp up on or your meat eater? How do you manage them? Because they're getting nutrients in a different way. They are. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely true. I mean, that's part of the reason why I wrote Ketotarium and I wrote yeah. it is because it's a mostly plant-based ketogenic book. And I wrote it for the keto community and the plant-based community because I saw that they were both like did things better than the standard American diet, but they, how can we optimize and leverage the benefits of both without falling prey to the, these potential pitfalls? Because yeah. the carpetarian like, is where most people are, are at when they're plant-based. They're just tons of refined stuff, all processed, tons of carbs, all in the name of plant-based and the keto community was like bacon and butter all day, every day. And they were like fearing vegetables because of the fiber content and the carbs. So to me, it's like, how could we look, learn from both of these things? And they're both in context. You can really pull some really cool things from both. And that's what ketotarian is. So for plant-based people, I would just honestly use a ketotarian foundation. So the ketotarianisms that I talk about, in intuitive fasting, which is my newest book, it is basically part two of ketotarian because it's just how do you use flexible intermittent fasting intuitively with a whole foods a keto diet, a clean keto diet like ketotarian. So it's when you have a healthy fats, when you have healthy fats, add some non-starchy vegetables. So healthy fats and yeah, healthy fats, avocados, olives, extra virgin olive oil, soaked nuts and seeds. Soaking them makes it more digestible, which I mentioned earlier, going off them for a while. Soaking them, sprouting them makes them way more digestible and usable. They, and they actually taste weirdly better somehow. Yeah, I like when you, yeah. have, when you have sprouted, there's some, I don't know. They're, they're more alive. I think they're just more alive. Yeah. I agree with you. I can tell the difference. Um, and coconut cream, coconut milk. Those are like vegan keto stuff. And then you can add, if you're vegetarian keto, add some pasture-raised organic eggs, add some ghee, clarified butter. And then ketotarian also includes a pescatarian keto option, which is wild-caught fish for seafood. But what I call vegetarian in the book, it's still predominantly plant-based, but it's it's gives you the fresh fish uh, pescatarian approach to it. So that's like a foundation of these healthy fats that I think whether you're mostly plant-based or completely plant-based, focus on those foods. Lots of clean vegetables, non-starchy vegetables. I, I'm a fan of sulfur-rich vegetables like Brussels sprouts and asparagus and these things that have sulforaphane in them that help with methylation and detox pathways. And then low fructose fruit. So berries, citrus, things like that. Focus on that stuff versus like the box stuff that's gonna have a, those, a lot of those core four foods that I mentioned. That's gonna have grains, 
It's going to have industrial seed oils. It's going to have sugar. It'll have pretty sounding euphemisms for sugar, but it'll still be sugar nonetheless. I know they make it, they do a really good job of making it hidden and complicated. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know what that word is. I'm super busy. I'm not going to look it up to find out that it's actually a sugar. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's, yeah. that's the thing I just always try to remind people is be kind to yourself in this process of learning because in certain ways and without being, uh, you know, it's not meant to be a, like a daunting thing. The mm-hmm. cards are stacked against people that yeah. are just trying to get their feet wet and figure this out. So just to sort of have grace with yourself and be like, hey, there's a lot of information to weed through. And once you practice yeah. and get good at it, it becomes pretty clear. And it will and, be. And there'll be a catalyst. What I see with people, and it's really cool, is they'll start doing it. And then it'll be this precipice for them where they'll own it for themselves. It'll just be second nature. It won't be like this diet or this program they're doing. It'll just be integrating, feeling great in their life. And that's what I want people to, to realize is that all the stuff that you you teach and I teach, what we want for people isn't a diet or a program. It's just, just cultivating ways to feel great in your life. Yeah. But you have to show up for yourself and be consistent until it really clicks and resonates from you. Yeah. And you've said consistent like three or four times. And I think that that's a really important and powerful part of the formula. I always say it's like, okay, what's your, what's your perspective or perception on things? Meaning you have to decide also that your health or this sense of feeling good is a priority. Yeah. Not like making, working as hard as you can and breaking your back and making as much money as you have can. It's like, Hey, no, this has to be really important. And then then yes. we can have all the information in the world and you set it consistency, the practice to support that. So those lifestyle mm-hmm. habits. And then, you know, I think that that's really important. I want to jump to vitamins because you, you do have some, you know, basics that you, I think really like, and you even offer ones um, that are special and unique um, that really are supportive for people. And I would also, I believe and you, I'd love to hear what you think, is sometimes before you layer in that practice of sup- cycling your supplements in and out, keep it simple first. So maybe this is the conversation to the other patient who's like, hey, I'm, I'm in a groove and now I want to you know, support myself just more here and there. Yeah. Well, food is first. Food is primary. Like I mentioned earlier, you can't supplement your way out of a poor diet. So food is primary. Focus on that. Like if you haven't got that down and look, and then there's the other group of people, the people, a lot of my patients, most of my patients, they are eating really healthily, doing all the things, but they still don't feel the way that they want to feel. So I'm speaking to them too, is that just because something's better doesn't necessarily mean it's optimal for you. So just because you're better and doing all the things, but you're not where you're at, well, maybe you need to pivot and adjust and vet what you're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind that people need to figure out their bio-individuality, not just this very generalized, I eat healthier than the average American. That's not like a hard thing to do. <laughs> it's like, well, it's very easy to eat better than the standard American. Well, so, and how, and how people, you know, digest food and convert food to energy is very different. You know, people think, totally. oh, well, that person's super lean and ripped. So they might, they probably convert all food quickly to energy. And yeah. it's like, well, maybe not. Maybe they need to take a nap after eating animal protein or actually even vegetables. Like, like you said, everybody is so different and diverse. But mm-hmm. what are, if you were going to, you know, sort of safely say, I really think that these types of vitamins um, for a lot of people are supportive 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's why we released what we call the collection because it's just stuff. We yeah. got questions. We got asked that question a lot. They're like, okay, yeah. just what's like the foundational stuff? Like what, what yeah. do I need to just have? And beyond food is your foundation. The targeted things that I think most people, what I've seen over the years, most people are deficient in or benefit from or uh, it would behoove them to integrate into their life. And you can get these from foods, but as you mentioned earlier, there's a major problem with soil depletion, major problem with over time, we've depleted our food density and nutrient wise. So methylated B vitamins are one of them, like methylfolate, methylcobalamin, some methylated B complex uh, to support tons of things. It supports methylation, which is very complex biochemical super highway that makes your hormones healthy, your brain healthy, detox pathways healthy. So considering a methylated B vitamin, considering a vitamin D3 with a K2, those are two fat-soluble vitamins because B vitamins are water-soluble. Fat-soluble vitamins are very deficient as well. So vitamin D3, K2, around a 5,000 IUs of vitamin D3 with a K2. And that is very beneficial because I see people, even they, they live in Hawaii or they live in Arizona, they live in Miami. They're yeah. still deficient. Laird, my husband, who is yeah. outside more than, you know, everyone, <laughs> he's deficient because let's face it, there's only certain times of the day you can make it outside. There's only actually certain times of the year, pretty much that you can, that you can actually make it. Um, yeah. And certain people have genetic variants. I look on right. labs, they have double snips or single snips of these VDR, the vitamin D receptor genes, where their body's just genetically slower at absorbing anyways. That on top of the fact that our guts aren't as healthy and all this other stuff that's going on, we're not actually making good use or bi the bioavailability of all this is, is not as good as it once was. So supplementing vitamin D is good. That vitamin A is another one too, where I would put that. We can get beta carotene from a lot of plant foods, but the true retinol that you, you won't get that from, uh, from plant-based sources. So I think considering supplementing with vitamin A, I love cod liver oil because of that. So I think that cod liver oil is a great food medicine to focus on because wild fish itself, the fat's going to have some of that A in there too, but like a supplement form with cod liver oil is a good idea. If you eat meat, liver is a great source for that. You can get the liver capsules, or if you eat liver, that will solve that problem too. And I, I think some inflammation support is a good idea too. So maybe like a, a turmeric or with a standardized for curcuminoids, which is the bioavailable, that inflammation balancing effect in the body. And that to me would be the core stuff. Yeah. If you want, if you're dealing with hormonal or energy or brain things, I think adaptogens are something to consider too, which are basically plant uh, medicines like ashwagandha and holy basil, mm -hmm. rhodiola that have a balancing effect on the stress response. That, that would be my core. Yeah. And I, I think it's important yeah. and people with the exception probably of the curcumin or the turmeric, this stuff, it's like, you know, use it for a while, take a break use it again. So you don't want it to lose its impact. Can you just briefly, cause I quercetin, is this, am I yeah. saying that right? Yeah. When I was, when I was, you know, doing my research, I've heard about it, but I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And I, I thought, and I know you, I'm going to direct everybody. They can find um, not only so much inf crazy amounts of information on um, your website, drwillcole.com. 
but your books, uh, just to remind people, Inflammation Spectrum, Ketotarian, and the latest one, Intuitive Fasting, but you have your supplements. So that's the other thing that's always important. I know a lot of people know this, but it's about the bioavailability of the stuff that you're actually taking. So just make mm-hmm. sure that you're you're getting the good stuff and so they can go to you for a resource of that. But quercetin is sort of really interesting. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's a flavonoid and it's really good at modulating the immune system. It's really um, good for supporting a healthy immune system. We use quercetin with stinging nettle, actually, of this one blend for people. We do a lot with histamine intolerance and people that have histamine intolerance can look different from different people, but it can drive anxiety. It can drive skin flares. It can drive uh, digestive problems. And typically the histamine intolerance is either driven by SIBO or mold toxicity or both. And then there's some genetic variants that make people sometimes more not so good at breaking down histamines, which quercetin and sticking nettle and other herb helps to really break down and vitamin C, interestingly enough, too. All, all of those can help bring bring down histamine levels. So yeah, it's something that we use clinically and there's some solid data to show that. Do you ever have like because you do do all these online conferencing, um, you know, do you have people who because I, I have some friends, let's say if they have um like psoriasis, which is a really mm-hmm. tough and brutal thing, yeah. it always everything gets dealt with so much topically. So here's another example of, I'm sure you've had run across a ton of patients with this, you know, just to kind of remind people or to redirect them um, about there are strategies to deal with it. Well, yeah, people with psoriasis or eczema or anything that's an inflammatory problem in the skin, they're just given steroids basically or biologic sometimes like an internal biologic immunosuppressant. But the reality is, there's a reason. And to me, the, the skin problems from a functional medicine standpoint, those are the check engine lights, just like the anxiety or the fatigue or the weight gain, weight loss resistance. Those are all the body saying what's underneath the hood, the check engine lights on, but why? And that's going to be different, pe- different things for different people. But some common things that we look at is the gut skin access. I've been going back to the gut and then what's irritating the gut is that is the bigger question too. But right. I've heard it said, and it's actually um, for people to to think about this, it's, it is quite true for many people, is that what's going on on our skin is an outer representation of what's going on in the gut lining. So think about that. If I'm seeing what I'm seeing on my skin, well, that's there's something weird going on in my gut lining, which is quite connected through what's called the gut-skin axis. So again, that powerful connection the gut has on lots of parts of our body and skin is one of them. I just think that that gives people who feel hopeless, and plus to be on those cycles of steroids and other things are, are a bummer. Mm-hmm. Um, just to get, there's like a hopefulness sometimes in thinking, wait a second, you know, I can, I can be, uh, you know, I can contribute to making this better. Cause mm-hmm. I, I do believe those kinds of conditions, you know, people think, oh, I, I'm not, I have nothing. There's nothing I can do. Yeah. And, a lot and, that's, can do. and there's a lot of that you, you, and I, I won't go down the ho- hole with it, but you talk about PCOS for women, um, you know, the polycystic ovary syndrome, which I think is quite common. Oh, extremely. Yeah. I mean, this, I mean, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, it's, it's driven by insulin resistance typically it's, but it impacts your mood, impacts your libido, impacts your weight. It can impact your hair impact, lots of different things, energy levels. And these are things that are 
again, what, they are pervasive, but they are overcomable, improvable, healable things. But you have to do something different to see something different. And that's what people realize is like, yeah, when they go into their doctor and the doctor says, well, for PCOS, like take metformin, take this medication, that's what they're given. But it's okay. Well, why do I have this problem in the first place? Like, what's the actual root cause? Not is there maybe a time and place medication, but the what's the end game here? Am I just going to be on this for the rest of my life because this is just me? No, just because something's common doesn't make it normal. And we should ask questions of why do I have this problem in the first place? And that's the questions that I'm asking with patients all the time. And I, I, you know, you hear so many times, like, listen, it can express itself in all these ways, autoimmune diseases, um, you, you, jo- you talk about uh, thyroid issues, uh, you've said anxiety, your brain health, but really at the core, and it's just, again, that reminder of people, we could deal with so much of those, all of those variables, if we go back to some of the, the sources, not the symptoms, and that it might show up very differently for me than to you. But it's really the root cause is quite possibly the exact same thing. And, and it's like, that's the thing that I'm so interested in drilling down for people is not to get caught up in how it's expressing itself necessarily, but let's go back to the, you know, the possible four things that could have caused these things in the first place. If, so if, if patient A and B come to you and, um, you know, I think people, this whole blood panel taking is really it's not new, but let's say for more mainstream, it has become new because usually people are only getting tests when they're sick. And maybe for like the last 20 years, there has been a group that's like, they'd get their blood work done. They check it out. They see what's going on. But a lot of times the indications, they don't even show up yet because you're not at that level where that triggers the panel, the, the panel to say, oh, you have this thing. So how does somebody yeah. get their blood work done in a real explorative way, maybe prior to something happening. And it's sort of hard because it's like, is it a gunshot? I mean, it's hard. You can't just do direct bullet. Like what kinds of tests maybe could somebody ask for? Sure. And that's really, I think prevention and and being curious about your health is way better to do that than wait till something gets really bad. So I wish more people did that actually. And, And we do have patients that do that. And I really they have a way better road ahead because they are being pro- proactive and they're they're wanting to deal with it now before it gets that bad. So they have the foresight and the, the insight to do that. So the, the reality is most people are getting these basic labs done because they're these routine checkups, the training in the system and the conventional medicine is to diagnose the disease and match it with the medication. So they're screening for the diabetes, they're screening for this and the, and the, and the cholesterol and the lipitor and the blood pressure, all that. Those are the main screenings that people are getting. And the basic thyroid TSH test, they're not really looking at the complexity because they're only running labs to see if they're off to give the appropriate medication. So it's superfluous from a conventional medicine standpoint to run more comprehensive labs, not because your doctor's being nefarious and like keeping information. It's just, if it doesn't change the end result, insurance doesn't cover tons of things. So the whole model's set up with pharmacology. It's all set up with just diagnosing and prescribing and disease management. So functional medicine is looking at it from a completely different standpoint. We don't just manage disease. We can actually see where somebody's health so we can actually manage their health and have actually have health management. So the first thing is making sure you're running solid labs 
and I can go over some good things, some basic tests to run. But the second thing is the interpretation of the labs. Because remember, that reference range you get from your doctor's lab or Quest or LabCorp, they're good. We look at them, but they're based off of a statistical bell curve average of people who go to that lab. People that go to labs aren't the healthiest bunch of people, sadly. So just because something's common doesn't make it normal, like I mentioned earlier. So comparing yourself to people who go to labs is no way for you to find out how you can feel your best. So you want to look at a thinner range within that larger reference range. That's the functional range. That's where functional medicine, that's where we get our name. Uh, it's where your body is functioning the best. So that's a typically a tighter X to Y interval within that reference range. So for example, a TSH, a thyroid stimulating hormone, a very basic pituitary hormone that you run, you get a lab run. The reference range will vary from lab to lab, but it's about 0.45 to 4.5 about that amount on a lab. The optimal range is about 0.45 to 2, meaning you could be a 2.5, 3, 3.5, 4, 4.5, and they're going to say everything's fine, it's normal. And by the way, that's a very incomplete way of looking at the thyroid anyways. You have to look at all the thyroid hormones, T4, T3, all the thyroid antibodies, reverse T3. I mean, there's so many things. You cannot be reductionist when it comes to any hormone, let alone the thyroid hormone, which is very complex, and just saying, well, you that's your TSH, and we're going to understand your entire thyroid hormone physiology based off of that snapshot in time, that TSH at 8 a.m. when you went to the lab. So we have to look at that complex with hormones, but the like the basic tests would be blood sugar. We want glucose to be under 90. A1C, three-month average of your blood sugar, we want that under 5.4. Again, these are optimal ranges, not just lab reference ranges. Uh, triglycerides, we want them under 100. C-reactive protein and homocysteine, two inflammatory markers, we want CRP to be under one. That's high sensitivity C-reactive protein. And homocysteine, we want that to be under seven. I think those are really good. So running like a lipid panel and looking at HDL, we want above 59, we want glucose A1C. Uh, I think that that's some basic stuff. Thyroid hormones, we should run a full panel too. So, so Dr. Cole, if somebody, let's just say someone's listening to this and they go, well, you know, I do get my blood work done, but maybe my doctor doesn't do the nuanced reading. Mm -hmm. Is it even realistic? Could they, could they go to a functional medicine practitioner, doctor and say, mm -hmm. I have my blood work. Would you be willing to read it? Oh yeah, absolutely. So that when we, when I have an initial consultation with somebody, we ask for the last year's labs. But anybody that's trained, whether they're seeing us or they could go to ifm.org or functionalmedicine.org uh, and find a local okay. doctor too. Any doctor would be able to do that. It would actually, it's helpful because you mentioned like shooting in the dark. That's a really good point. Like you don't want to just run labs for the sake of it. So that's where a good health history comes into play because then you know, okay, you're not just running random labs for the sake of it. A yeah. health history really informs the doctor what labs are the most relevant? What stones are most likely to have something underneath it? So you're being as targeted, as informative as possible and not just running random labs. So health history is the start of that to determine what labs are appropriate for you. So I just have a few more questions because I have to really control myself because I could literally go down like all these holes. I, I do want to get into like men and women because with women, the complexity of hormones, even now with men, I think with you know, sort of the outside exterior impact has really shown up in, you know, their ability to have children. I mean, it's, just, it's, yeah. it's showing up in a real way. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe for women, you know, I am middle-aged, I'm 50. And, um, you know, a lot of times there's a narrative, 
like, oh, well, you know, I heard one narrative when I turned 40. It's like, oh, well, you can forget about like your body being the way it was or whatever. And uh, I was like, okay. And then when I turned 50, it's like, oh, you're going to get that weight around the middle and, you know, all these things. And and I'm I'm not using myself as an example of somebody who's maybe had an athletic lifestyle whatever. But I, I feel like there's a lot of that that's avoidable, but you know, and I understand hormones. I get it. Like, I'm not going to be like how I was when I was 20. I get that. But maybe if you have people who come to you, I think a lot of women get really frustrated either with the weight loss trip. I don't care if you're 25. It's like I'm, I'm eating air and I haven't lost a pound and all these things. And they, of course, they're malnourished. They're not even getting micro macronutrients. Or you have a woman who's hit a certain age and, and she's like, oh, I give up. I'm giving up. You know, maybe we could just sort of touch upon either the weight loss part, how to really, because there are people and you see them, they are really trying to do a lot of the right things and they are not having success. Um, and maybe it's a, a stress or a trauma, something that's unpacked, but maybe like you said, this chronic inflammation and their body just can't get ahead of it or a woman going through, you know, menopause. Yeah. Are there ways to kind of help yeah. support them? Absolutely. I mean, this, these are almost hundred percent of my patients. They're the, they're the <laughs> well-read, very well-read doing more than most people, but still st- stuck. They're better off than they would be if they weren't doing all those things, but they're still struggling. And some of them are still struggling with some major things. And it's hard to even imagine things even being worse off, but I know they could be because they are doing all these things to keep these autoimmune conditions at bay. And it's like, okay, look, it's, they're keeping a lot of things at bay, but it's not okay to just be like, okay, this is my lot in life. There's nothing I can do because their doctors tell them that they're do- you're just getting older. You're just depressed. You're a new mom. You have all these well-intentioned reasons as to how you could be having symptoms despite these quote unquote normal labs. First of all, it may just be an interpretation of the labs they've already had done. Maybe it's just like that illuminates a lot of nuances to things that are just like, whoa, if you just like tweak this, this, and this, that would move you past that plateau. So sometimes it's optimization of the data we already have. Sometimes it is looking a bit deeper too. Sometimes it's a bit of both. Most of the time it is. And then it's just giving those adjustments in those areas that are sticking points. We all have sticking points in our physiology. I see that all the time. When you retest in like five months, okay, most of it's gotten better. They're a lot better, but there's a few things that are like, okay, this is like, they need extra attention in these said spots. That's human nature. That's just how health works. What I found over the years. So then you need to give special attention and we're all created differently. And I think that's the point here is bio-individuality and what's needed for one person isn't necessarily needed for the next person. So Absolutely. We can labs, a health history, and then using real life as a lab. And that's where the consistency comes in. And that, that, that word comes back. It's just like, keep leaning into these protocols. And then we can see, okay, look, this area is moving slower. Let's adjust the protocol in real time. Even though we ran a lab two months ago, maybe you need extra attention here and leaning to it. And that's the, the science and the art of what I do in functional medicine is that you can have the same labs, you can have this pretty similar health history, but then how these protocols play out in somebody's lives or this supplement or this food protocol or whatever you're doing, it's gonna, you see this, I'm sure all the time. It's so different for different people, but that's okay. Uh, So I think that just raising up the amount of information you have about your body can give you a lot of insight into what needs to happen. 
And and with men, I feel like um, maybe because it's, you know, we're living, we're sitting, we're what we're eating, whatever was laden into the food. I think it's crushing men in a different way. Yeah, and absolutely. I, you know, and, and I hate to say it, but it, all tests, a lot of the tests are run on men. Like if you do athletic studies, it's like, well, men. So in certain ways, it's like women, you know, I don't want to say aren't the, just the data isn't specific for women, but in certain ways, I feel like men get forgotten because it's like, oh, you're a dude, like just deal with it. But yeah. they, you know, it's, I feel like their environment is kind of not supporting their hormone systems mm-hmm. and their well-being, their virility, you know, all of that. Absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly because a lot of guys and guys are notoriously bad at checking in with their health and going to the doctors anyways. And then on top of that, there isn't this complex conversation around the dance of estrogen and progesterone and cycles. So it's like, then it's some relegated to like nothingness and guys are just like, I'm fatigued. I have a libido. I have erectile dysfunction or I have trouble losing weight. And then there's this, this whole shame thing when it comes to like not dealing with these things. So it's cool to see guys like never before reach out to us and say, they want to check in with their health. They want, they know something's not right. And they're, and you know what it is? It's podcasts podcasts like this, the conversation we're having right now has been like, our parents didn't have this. Our grandparents didn't have these conversations and hear other people that are going through similar things. This democratization of conversations beyond just the five o'clock news and newspapers, they can actually hear real conversations and see themselves in that conversation. That has caused an awakening of guys and women to realize, again, just because it's my everyday doesn't mean I should settle And you even have talked about hair loss. Yes, part of that is normal, but there could be indications that there's things you can do that your hair may be losing more hair. You talked about, you know, eyebrows and hair itself is actually could be an indication of something in your health. So I I just, I keep, you know, going around and around about it. You know, you talk about Hashimoto's, you know, a lot of people experience things, thyroid, autoimmune, Hashimoto's, all of these things. And it's, it's to keep reminding them Sometimes it's easier to go, oh, it's too complicated. I don't even want to start. I'll take the pill. I'll just deal with it. I'll Mm -hmm. suffer. And that if they could take these small steps, it really is amazing what you can, what did you say? Reverse, um, improve, or some things are managed. Like it's, you you know, not everything is going to be, you know, uh, forever. Like, hey, we got this. Now, I want to finish. The body is amazingly resilient. Yes. And it's just to give people a little, you know, love, hug, kick, move to say like, hey, there's stuff out there um, and people out there that are good at what they do that can shine light on a path that, you know, can lead you to feeling better. Um, And and I think it's so important with brain health. And I'm going to, you know, go over it very quickly. I think like I've experienced it where all of a sudden I'm like, I think the file cabinets are full. Like I've lived enough years. I've managed enough details that sometimes I'm like, Oh my goodness. And I, and I, I don't know how much is inflammation and how much of that is, is stress, you know, from, uh, from living and children and work and Mm -hmm. just the things. But I, I want to just sort of touch upon that. If, if we could navigate this, inflammation spectrum we're on and sort of say, let's say we want to get lower into the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Have you seen patients 
patients where the brain fog, and I don't care if they're 65 or 75, if it starts to dissipate a little bit and they can improve their cognitive function, even through the, these kinds of changes. Yeah. I mean, the brain is this is something that I, I, I like speaking a lot about because it's so much, there's so much learning that needs to happen as far as mainstream awareness of it. In the West, we like to separate mental health from physical health. Like, oh, that's mental health issue. Uh, or it's just, it's anxiety, it's depression. And then there's the body health. The reality is mental health is physical health. Our brain is part of our bodies and you can't separate the two, but it came from the thought that the brain was immune privileged, that the inflammation didn't impact the brain. But now we realize most of the brain cells are glial cells and microglial cells are the brain's immune system. And inflammation, just like it impacts autoimmunity in the body or diabetes in the body or whatever, heart disease in the body, that inflammation in the brain will impact things like anxiety, depression, and fatigue, and brain fog, and ADD, ADHD, and autism, all of these things. So we have to look at what's the researchers are calling it the, the cytokine model of cognitive function. Cytokines are pro-inflammatory cells, so it's researchers looking at how inflammation impacts how our brain works. So yeah, the brain is A, subject to the same Goldilocks principle of inflammation as the rest of the body, but our brain is amazingly resilient like the rest of our body. That the old thought was that, you know, if your neurons died, like there's nothing you could do. And like, that's it. it the, the brain isn't malleable, but that's not the truth. It, we have neuroplasticity and researchers are exploring this and we can actually increase things like BDNF, which actually encourages the production of new neurons, right. the healing and these autophagy cellular recycling pathways, the brain uses it. So yes, that all things that are in the body applies in the brain when it comes to the healing that our body has. So Dr. Cole, I, I just want to finish up with someone's going to hear you and think this, you know, he's very, you're very smart. Um, you just seem like you're healthy, you know, and it's easy <laughs> for you and you've got your practice and your podcast and your books and your kids and somehow you're, you're doing it. Do you have, you know, whether is it, is it a person or it could be a combination? Well, first of all, I'd love to know, like, what kicks your butt? Like, have you, you know, I know what my kind of things are that can take me down. Um, I'm just curious because I think when someone sees something like you, and I do this a lot on my show, is they think, oh, they don't have to manage anything. They just naturally are that fluid. You know, what are, what are the days that you're just like, oh, I don't, you know, it, this is hard for me today. Well, I mean, I've always talked publicly about, uh, written about it because, um, I want people to be educated through it is, is anxiety. I've always had anxiety. I've always struggled with it. And I can't imagine what it would be like if I wasn't doing all the things I could do. And like I said, I, I, said, I said, healed, reversed, optimized, whatever, managed is one of them. Uh, I manage this uh, because I have autoimmune conditions on both sides of my family. I have a double MTHFR gene variant, which MTHFR is associated with different gene variant, uh, autoimmune conditions. And I have a double gene variant, a specific gene called the C677T gene. Lots of people have it. They don't even know. But I think that plus other health issues that it can happen in people's lives that can trigger things like autoimmune conditions or anxiety for some people. For me, it's mainly anxiety. So it's all the stuff that I talked about, these practicing acts of stillness and using eating foods at lower inflammation levels, or like I'm exploring intuitive fasting, like flexible intermittent fasting has been a game changer for me 
to help with my metabolic flexibility, to help my brain out, to help my sharpness out. So it is, uh, these are all tools that people can lean into. But for me, the thing that gets me would be anxiety. So if something goes the way that I wanted it to go, my natural uh, instinct and reaction towards that is like, oh my gosh, like the sky is falling and I, I like it's it go into this, you know, anxiety mode, but you have to check yourself. But when you have these tools, that foundation that I mentioned for my kids, I want that same foundation for myself to say, what can I lean on? What can I rest in? Because what I know is deeper and broader and bigger and more powerful than what I feel at any moment. Right. And you talk a lot about that, like your feelings are not you and, Mm -hmm. you know, noticing them and every, you know, every practice, every mindful practice talks about that. So, um, so we have, you have Dr. Will Cole, W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. And like I said, you have, you know, I read the, your um, vegetarian book, you have your new book, Intuitive Fasting, which I think is interesting. We all know, like, once you get in tune with your body, also, you can be like, you know what? I got to take a break from food. Like I do it all the time. Like with dinner, I'm like, I don't need dinner. I need to pass. I need to give my body a break. And it is amazing when you can get into that, that connection with yourself where you know, even like, oh, I, ha- I didn't drink anything today. Like I haven't had, I have not hydrated myself. You know, it's like, yeah. I think people, um, they have to give themselves more credit that it doesn't, you can live anywhere, be raised any certain way. And this is your kind of natural way that, you know, to be. So I, I, I want to encourage people that now is the time and mm-hmm. they can find you there. And can you just share, because you, pod- you have your Goop podcast, Goop, uh, do you do that Goop every week? Well, Goop Fellas is on a break right now. Okay. I did Goop Fellas for a year and they but can listen to they're still the around. They're still around. They can listen to Goop Fellas, but I'm actually launching one uh, with your media actually in, um, in the new year. So the right. art of being well will be my solo podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're going to kick ass. And then Thanks. on your Instagram and you have, again, a ton of information where you list out you know, three things or five things you can do. Like I, what did I see one about serotonin? Like, okay, five things you can do. So I really appreciate how much, you know, stuff that you, you offer if people want to pick it up so they can uh, find you at uh, Dr. Will Cole. On yeah, Dr. Will Cole.com and at Dr. Will Cole on Instagram. Yep. Right. Okay. Well, I, uh, I really appreciate. Yeah. I've loved this conversation and, um, and your message and just how you empower people you know, that they can, you can make it different. Yeah, totally. Just give your body the chance to do so. That's all. But the message of today is consistency. Be, show up. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.